Welcome to Move Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Clapson. The aim of this podcast is to explore, learn, and spread the message of rewilding and natural movement so that we as humans can live in more alignment with our nature and reclaim what it means to be fully alive. The modern world has stripped away so much that used to nourish our mind, body, and soul. This podcast will help illuminate how we can reclaim and restore our innate, wild, capable, and strong spirit. Thanks for joining me on this journey. Welcome back to another episode of Move Wild Podcast. I hope you've all had an amazing week and are ready to jump into this episode. So Jake and Molly here, and on this episode, we're going to share our thoughts and some of our strategies for integrating a balance between recovery and training. So I think that this is a really important topic to talk on. A lot of people miss out on one of these two elements in their life, either they're overly balanced in the recovery aspect and they don't do enough training, or they're overly balanced in the training aspect and they don't do enough recovery. And if you're perfectly balanced, then we're just gonna share some strategies in general today on our thoughts on on recovery and training and, and how we kind of balance those two things in our life. So I thought it might be good to start with a bit about what kind of volume of training we do and what we think is optimal and also talking about the different types of training that we kind of integrate throughout the week in order to give our bodies and our minds a more holistic kind of sense and a holistic set of stresses that help us grow rather than break us down. Did you want to start with something on that? Yeah, um, I think that the optimal amount of training varies from person to person, and I think that's a question that a lot of people ask, is like, how often should I be training? And it's just, it varies from each person to person and how, how stressed you are in your life as well. And the less stress that you can be incorporating into your life, the better, and the harder you can train, the better results you can get ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I think it's, it, I think that's what I would base all, well, most of the, the, the volume of training off of is like how much external stress you have in your life because people forget that, well, they don't forget, but they don't recognize necessarily in full that training is a stress and all these different things that we do with our bodies, they're stresses and they're hormetic stresses. But if you have other stresses in your life, they can become chronic and they can start to break you down physically and mentally so it's just understanding and taking note of what are the other stresses in your life if you work a nine-to-five job if you live in a city if you if you're surrounded by toxins if all these different things are going on in your life and you have many stresses then maybe you might want to think about being a bit more smart with your training how much you train when you train and and all of those things if you live a relatively stress-free life then it might you might be have a bit more choice and you might be a bit more free and easy with when you train, how much you train, uh, the kind of intensity you train at as long as you're getting in adequate recovery times. But I would say that an absolute minimum, I believe, from my perspective, for training would be at least three times a week, three solid, more higher intensity, strength-based sessions with bouts of more cardiovascular work, bouts of higher intensity sprint-like work, and uh, but really focusing on on strength as the as the core kind of method of training and technique. I think th- that that influence for me has come fr- a lot from MoveNat and 
looking at movement more from a capability standpoint than from an aesthetic standpoint and really understanding that capability is is the practice of developing a skill and it's the practice of developing a real world skill rather than just doing bicep curls for the sake of looking good but rather looking at the world as to what kind of skills might I need and then developing those skills so trying to develop those skills at least three times a week and also adding in elements of strength I think that's the optimal in my eyes for creating health and also creating capability would you add to that at all yeah and definitely if you are just training three times a week that can be optimal for a lot of people and it's about breaking up and like giving yourself as much rest time in between those three sessions maybe going Monday Wednesday Friday and having good rest days in between rather than smashing yourself Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and feeling like just crap the rest of the week and then doing it again on Monday. Yeah, and I think that's a good bridge to some good recovery strategies because what does that time in between look like? Because for a lot of people, that's complete sedentary living and that's not actually optimal for recovery. That's not going to bring you optimal recovery. You're not going to recover quick enough you can you'll actually recover more slowly if you give yourself complete stillness in between those sessions so some things that we do and i think are generally good and are all for me at least informed from an ancestral standpoint and viewpoint and understanding what's natural for human beings is just to incorporate a lot of low intensity movements in the form of walking in the form of exposing ourselves to the to nature and elements and changing temperatures in the form of play all these all these different things that aren't necessarily incorporated into many people's lives but can be these kind of good rest periods in between but still that still allow us to keep moving and still allow us to keep the blood flowing and still allow for recovery due to that blood flow and due to the fact that we're moving our bodies but not necessarily the same intensity as we would be moving them for those three sessions a week and so really so i guess coming at it from the perspective of what can i be doing outside of high intensity movement that's still beneficial for my body so that could be you know going for a walk a long walk on the beach that could be you know maybe going for a swim diving in the ocean getting a bit of cold immersion that could be going in a sauna that could be doing a bit of yoga that could be doing breath work there's so many different things that we use as recovery strategies and can be used and i think understanding those things as well from an ancestral standpoint and how much movement and the frequency of movement that is normal to humans kind of trying to integrate that frequency into our lives helps us recover a lot more quickly from those more intense sessions yeah and definitely adding in the point of food as a massive point of recovery I think that that would be that as well as um, decreased training load and movement load would be the, like the two key ways to recover um, and being able to get in what you need after a training session yeah so maybe we can talk a little bit about food and um, what's I mean we've talked about this a little bit before but what's optimal for humans like Again, coming from that ancestral perspective, what's a biologically appropriate diet? What does that, what do we need to fuel our bodies? And then going beyond that and thinking, you know, if I'm adding extra stress to my life or to my body, what might I need extra in order to sustain that stress? So it might be more ancestrally appropriate to eat this many 
grams of protein, as many grams of fats, as many grams of carbohydrates. But if I'm stressing my body beyond what is biologically appropriate, i.e. in the form of high intensity training, you know, more than three times a week, then maybe I need to be adding in extra fuel in order to make up for that. So I never really like to leave as much as I can. And I don't like to leave just getting all my fuel from whole foods and looking out to nature to really give me all that I can, like all that I can use to fuel myself. And not often is that change, like not often in my diet do I have things that are processed. Um, most of my calories and fuel comes from animal foods, which is in my eyes the most bioavailable form of protein and fat that I can get in my diet in order to fuel my training and in order to fuel my growth and that that's kind of what my diet looks like but alongside that there's also the element of fasting and allowing the body to kind of detox and and give time for cellular repair through autophagy so having bouts of like at least 12 to 16 hours of fasting every day I try and incorporate into my life and I think that definitely helps me optimize my recovery as well I notice on a large level and it also allows me to have more energy when I train. Is there anything that you wanted to add to the food piece? Just on that point of fasting, um, something that we've both been playing around with a little bit is trying not to eat about four hours before we go to sleep and recognizing how much clearer we feel mentally in the morning because it does take about four hours before your body has been able to digest what you've just eaten depending on what you're eating and yeah, being able to have that fully digested and go straight into sleep and be able to process your day and everything makes a massive difference on how you feel the next morning. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that, that's, that's just a, a mental shift, a shift again because we were talking about this last night in the sense that, you know, eating literally right before you go to sleep is a very cultural and societal thing for most, most cultures, you know, like many people will eat at like 8 p.m. and then go to sleep at 10 p.m. and it's like they've only had two hours to digest or even go to sleep earlier and it can really damage and disrupt your sleep cycles which is a massive piece of recovery and we'll talk about that in a second but just shifting the paradigm and thinking okay can I eat more during the day like we've been kind of having our meals around 10 or 11 or 12 and then finishing up our last meal around 4 or 5 or 6 and, and not really eating it any later than that and not really eating any earlier than that and that's that works really well and I think that is a more that is more appropriate for humans we wouldn't have necessarily had access to food that early or that late into the day unless we'd stored it and prepared it in a certain way and my understanding of that is limited so don't take that as gospel but I, I think that it definitely helps me health-wise to eat during the day rather than at early in the morning or late at night so maybe we can move on to sleep a bit and, and talk about how that plays into a healthy recovery program or a system of recovery because obviously sleep is probably one of the most, if not the most important element of recovery. If you're not getting good sleep, then it doesn't really matter what else you're doing, you know, your training, your, your diet, all these different things that you could be doing really, really well. If you're not getting quality and quantity sleep, then you're really going to suffer. So what does quality and quantity look like? So first, quantity is pretty obvious. Most people have heard the seven to nine hours, and I think that's generally a pretty 
good guide. Again, you look at it, different indigenous groups across the world and, and in total throughout a 24-hour cycle, they'll get around seven to nine hours of sleep. And I think that that's fairly agreed upon scientifically as to what the human animal needs in order to be optimal and in order to survive no, you know, no less and no more, obviously depending on the circumstances but, and depending on the individual, but that's generally a good rough guide. And then do you want to share some markers of quality sleep? In getting, in getting quality sleep, I think it definitely starts during the day about like our exposure to, to everything that we've been exposed to that throughout the day, whether that's training, that's going to help you sleep better so you go to sleep properly exhausted and like feeling like you've used your body and you've released energy, as well as caffeine intake. We generally try not to consume any caffeine after 12 p.m., um, whether that's in the like intake of like like dark chocolate or coffee or tea or whatever it is, try and have that caffeine free or just not have it after 12 p.m. Um, anything else you can add to it? Yeah, and, I th- and I, it, is, it is all about what you're doing outside of that sleep because, you know, sleep is a very unconscious process. It's like when you're in it, you're not consciously controlling your actions or your body's functions. You know, you're, it, it, during deep sleep, your, your brain goes through a detoxification process during REM sleep. You know, there's all these functions that are happening during sleep that you're not conscious of and you don't have conscious control over. And if you actually added conscious control over, it would damage your sleep. So just understanding that if everything outside of that sleep cycle will affect your sleep. So number one would be waking up and getting natural light on your skin and on your eyes and just introducing your body the natural rhythm so that that resets and and gets you back into a proper and natural circadian rhythm so that your body knows that's the time it's going to start producing melatonin ready for the next night's sleep that's again the time that it's going to start releasing serotonin so that you can be wakeful in that state and then other things like that are you know getting adequate sun exposure during the day making sure you're moving enough so that your body knows that this is a wakeful state not a resting state if you're not moving enough throughout the day then your body thinks you know your body's kind of in limbo because it's not in a fully wakeful state it's not in a fully restful state and then that can damage your sleep cycle um not exposing yourself to fluorescent light too much during the day and especially at night you know blue light is a light uh that's that's the same so blue light is a light that's emitted from uh house lights from technology from laptops but it's also the same spectrum of light that we view in natural lighting and through the sun but is not available in the natural world past sunset or past even before sunset and that you know exposing yourself to blue light before you go to bed is going to stimulate your nervous system and tell it that it should be in a wakeful state when really it should be in a in a restful state and it's going to suppress your melatonin release so so that's another big part of quality sleep is is if you're exposing yourself to blue light or to these harmful light spectrums then that's going to affect your sleep cycles and you might not notice it that's the other thing you might think oh, i slept eight hours but your deep sleep might have been disrupted you might not have even gotten deep sleep or you might have only gotten an hour of deep sleep and your brain's not fully detoxified and you can't think clearly and then you can't make proper decisions and that cycle continues those are, those are some of the main elements as well as eating can disrupt the sleeping cycle if you're eating right before bed. And there's, there's I guess there's several, fa- I mean, stress is a big one. If you're going to bed really, really stressed, then you're not going to sleep well. I know, you know, like I used to 
sleep terribly a few years back and I know that I would always go to bed like super anxious and super stressed and I would always like have terrible night's sleep because of that and and I think that you know just understanding what state you're going into into your sleep with is massive so maybe find ways to activate the parasympathetic nervous system right before you go to bed so that could be in the form of like a hot bath will do that really well like heat will do that really really well and generally not cold and generally not high intensity exercise but rather softer movement or or community and and i mean it, it all makes sense when you look at it again from an ancestral perspective what we would have been exposed to right before we went to sleep we would have been exposed to a, a deep sense of security and safety because we probably weren't sleeping alone we were sleeping within a community we would have been exposed to heat and dancing and celebration around a fire and abundant food and, and people that we knew. So all these different elements that essentially give our nervous system the signal that it's safe and it's ready to sleep, because when we're not feeling safe, we're not gonna be ready to sleep. So safety is another big one and creating a sense of safety and, and not having safety can have a massive impact on, on sleep. Is there anything you want to add to that? That's all good. So I think that, that pretty much wraps up our thoughts on training and recovery. One more thing I did wanna add is like, what's maximum for, high intensity training and kind of volume and also a little bit about maybe what we do training wise throughout the week like what my routine looks like at least so i think a good max is probably five days for me personally and again it's it's different per individual probably five to six days a week of higher intensity sessions meaning that and that session doesn't go beyond about an hour and a half and that's the maximum but more like 45 minutes to an hour and that's what's optimal again for me but that can change and vary between most individuals i try and keep my sessions mainly at the moment very strength heavy and small again small bouts of like running or sprinting or or higher intensity faster more powerful movements but with an emphasis on slow, steady, still intense, but strength-based stuff. And I find that that's really helped my, my state of being. That's really helped with many things. I used to train with a lot more, like higher intensity, more dynamic movements like sprinting, like jumping. And, and I found that chronically that that caused a lot of excess stress and a lot of excess cortisol. And I still incorporate some of those things into my training, but I think shifting to a more strength-based approach has really helped me personally. Is there any, anything that you have that you suggest for people training-wise? Um, so that's, that's pretty much wraps it up on our thoughts on training and recovery. So I hope you guys found that useful. So if you are interested in diving into this stuff, a little bit more and you want to try and get more of a grasp on what are the different things that can help you to really thrive and, and be optimal in this crazy world that we live in then we are actually at the moment as we speak putting together an audio masterclass that kind of answers that question as to how to thrive in the modern world and it doesn't just go through training and recovery it goes through you know optimal diet optimal you know community and how how to form community and and what are the mark a good marks of a good community and good relationships it goes through uh training it goes through movement it goes through um breath work it goes through sleep and recovery and it goes through all these different things 
an element that can help us to thrive in the modern world. So if you're interested in being one of the first people to access this audio masterclass when it comes out, then please message us through Instagram and we will send you the details for that and maybe hook you up with a discount for the first people who want to get on this as it comes out, which will be sometime within the next few months and we'll let you know as it progresses. But I just thought I'd throw that in there for anyone interested, message us through Instagram. And with that, thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate you guys listening in and really appreciate all the support you guys give in, in your listenership. And we will catch you on the next episode coming out on Tuesday.